And we are back. Thank you so much for joining us for my favorite segment of the show here. Back on the interview trail. And just so you know, we're actually 15 minutes into this interview. But yours truly forgot to hit the record button. And and just because this guy is such a good sport and such a good friend, he didn't cuss me out and cancel. He hung around here. So second time's hopefully the charm. Um, we, we got a, we got a murderer's row of interviews lined up, but I just felt it was fitting to start with this gentleman as he is a good buddy of mine, but also a partner. Um, so we wanted to kick things off here in the new year on the interview circuit with none other than Marcos Bueno, the manager of our algorithmic, uh, algorithmic momentum portfolio that continues to whoop the market. Um, it's about three out of the last four years and handily so. Uh, anyway, Marcos, great to have you with us. Thanks for joining. Thanks to you, Zach. All right, sir. Well, we're, this feels like a recap because I was really fired up about the conver- where we were just at until I looked down and realized that we were talking into, uh, into, into each other's ears, and that was it because I forgot to hit the record button. So anyway, let, let's, let's go back and retrace a little bit um, and start off with a, a, a bit of a recap of last year because I think you and I both agree – Last year was ugly. It was hard. Um, it was the toughest year I've ever had as an investor. And I think you both you and I agree. I was limping into the close. I was just exhausted. Just dealing with all the nonsense, non, you know, just senseless back and forth, up, down, just just chaos. Um, and I think that was a common feeling yeah. across many managers. I, I felt a lot better after you told me that because I was like, okay, so it wasn't just me. It just it was. I kept calling it a food fight. Um, what, what do you what do you think made it so difficult? Kind of give us your summation of last year. Yeah. Um, sorry, I'm going to interject here because we, one of the things that you said on the 15 previous minutes is that is this show uh, scripted and the fact is that it's not right but now we can repeat what we said more or less so which is if i sound scripted that's the reason why I well we to the, say this thing yeah i told you yeah so the, so the first 15 minutes of this one will be pseudo scripted right <laughs> yeah exactly so okay so um so 2022 was the hangover of the party of the previous years i think there was a lot of x's across markets uh, particularly in stocks and bonds, very dangerously. So what happened is that when the when the Fed decided that inflation was a problem, uh, they started to raise rates, and we came back to reality to some extent. And what made it very, very hard was not just that the stock market came down between 20 and 35%, depending on the index that you look at. Uh, that was not very hard. I mean, that was hard, but it was it was not unexpected. I mean, the, the, the equity market does that from time to time. What gave people sort of like, what's the word, uh, peace of mind, if you want, is that they thought that they were hedged because they were long bonds as well. And in their experience, uh, the bond position will hedge the equity position, when in fact, it did not. What happened is that bonds really fell out of out of bed. I think the the long term bonds fell down twenty percent or something total return. So what happened is that you lost on your risky position which was the stocks and you also lost on your hedge. So it's not unheard of many portfolios, high quality portfolios that are down fifty percent. 
in, including sort of like what supposed to be very professionally managed money, like pension plans that they lost between 30 and 50% of their money, which is crazy. Uh, so I think, I think that's what happened. And also was coupled with a lot of people that did not have a lot of experience in the market. Because a lot of the retail traders or younger market participants that got into the market after the COVID, um, they did have a, a good run at the beginning, but they did they did not have the experience to deal with uh, with a with a bear market, and a lot of people suffered. And we saw that. Now, also the other thing that made it difficult is that in government and central banks scared of having another COVID crash or after what happened in 2008, they were actively fighting a market fall. They didn't say like that, but in fact, they were quite worried. And a lot of market participants were also anticipating that. So we saw a lot of volatility. We have a lot of months of plus minus 10%, which, which is a lot. And I think that made it even harder than it normally is because it was down, but also extremely choppy. And uh, and people got tired. I think I think that's the summary of the 2022. Yeah, yeah. It was boy. I sure know why they got tired. It was exhausting. The the I, I will continue to say, and and we won't call anybody out, but um, the bond one to me because if memory serves me correctly, th- there were a few intrepid souls out there warning of exactly this thing happening in bond markets. We don't need to say their name. <laughs> Is it, this is self-promotion, Marcos. Uh, uh, I, I got that. Yeah. <laughs> no, but okay. But, but all joking aside, and this isn't me doing victory laps. I had a client say to me the other day, Zach, you really called that bond thing. Well, and hold on for those of you that think that I'm going to go off self-worshipping here. I'm not. Okay. But what I said to him is I said, thank you. But I go, I really have a hard time taking a compliment for that. And he goes, well, what do you mean? And I go, over much of the last decade, you were investing in bonds, barely keeping up with the rate of inflation, net of fees. Many investors weren't keeping up with the rate of inflation when interest rates were at zero. The minute inflation became a problem, the fed was going to raise rates and bonds were going to get smoked. I cannot believe how many people were loaded up in treasuries going. It was one of those things where just maybe it's kind of like the common knowledge game. You know, where you're like, I know it and everybody else yep. must know that and that kind of thing. Look around. I legitimately was not gloating. I was shocked and terrified to hear how many investors got smoked because of their bond portfolios. What I, I'm still having a tough time marrying that up, meaning, again, it's not a look at you. What an idiot or I'm so much smarter than you. I what do you attribute that to? Because to me, that was like, and I've been referring to that for years saying that this is the slowest moving train wreck of all time. Like bonds have nothing but pain to offer you. Why did that catch so many people off sides? Um, I think that's a question of market structure and human psychology. Uh, The first one being more powerful, I think. I don't think that that many people thought that buying bonds or 50 basis points or less than 1% or negative rates was a good idea. I don't think never really, not many people thought that was a good idea, but many of them didn't have a choice. 
because of how the market is structured. And by the way, this is a great advantage for independent, independent players that are not subject to institutional constraints, or they're actually free to do what is best for the clients as opposed to what is best for their bosses. Right. And then for them. Um, but the whole financial industry is geared to join the crowd. If you stay away, if you walk away from the crowd, you probably will get whacked. Yeah. Most financial professionals working in sort of like big firms, uh, where they're more worried about their job than they are about returns. And if everybody's buying bonds and they do not, if they, if everybody makes money, they do not, they get fired. If they buy bonds with everybody else and everybody, if everybody loses money, it's just, okay, the market didn't treat us well. So the whole incentive is to do what everybody else is doing, even if it's wrong. Now, this is, this is an advantage for people that are independent because those things create trends. Trends can be, can be monetized. They, they go much further than people think because it's not rational. As you said, is that nobody's investing at at bonds at negative rates because they want to lose money. It's just that the incentive is different. So it creates strength. And on the other hand, for people that are truly independent and they want to do what is what is right from a money management perspective, they will just not buy the bond and they will sell them. And then sooner or later, they'll make money because everybody else will make will they will lose and they will make but the only independent people can do that because the other ones are quite happy actually losing money as long as everybody else is losing money as well that's what's happening yeah it's 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 the whole it's better to fail conventionally than succeed unconventionally kind of thing yeah but that's a reality for most people yeah yeah i just don't because their incentives are driving them to that yeah, it's just it's what frustrates me, and, and and this you know, you and I have talked about this a lot, and I know it, it was a, I know it was a foundational principle behind, but why both you and I left the big the big, you know, we were in very different parts of it, obviously, but it's why we left the world of the big investment houses because you 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 look at that and it's it's really frustrating as an investor. Because so little thought and foresight, all the, the the focus is just the gathering of assets. It's not the it's not the managing of them. It's not protecting them. It's not being a rational thinker. Yeah. It's it's just it's just putting quarters into the machine, you know. Um, and I think yeah, look, I, I do what I do precisely because of that. Because uh, in if you get into the machine and then you go to people with something new that is being doing things differently, many people will say, "I get you," but I can't do that. Yeah, you really need to be out of that system to be able to do it. Yeah, yeah, and the incentives. I mean, I I remember even in my early days at a couple of the bulge bracket banks, you know, working at Wells Fargo Advisors and Wachovia Securities and AG Edwards, you could run money independently, but it was just an uphill fight the whole way. And I remember so many advisors coming into my office going, "Why are you doing this?" Why don't you just get paid more money? You know, because they give you bonus incentive structures to put your clients 
into the house portfolios. You know what I mean? So doing what was best for the client would actually make you less money, right? People go, they were incentivizing. And I go, no, they just, look, there's some good reasons why they don't want their average advisor out there running money. I get that. But just trying to explain to people that when you're at one of those firms, you're not there because they're focused on getting you the best results, right? The portfolios and the marketing and all that, it's, it's, it's all designed to maximize their business results, not your returns, right? Yeah. And now a lot, a lot of people go to people like UBS or Coria because you kind of, it kind of guarantee that they're not going to suck. Yeah. I mean, they're going to suck, but not, they're not going to lose all your money. Yeah. It, the money is going to be there sometimes more, sometimes less, often less, but, but they're not going to run away and disappear. And they're, yeah, they're and not going to fraud you. value for other people. Yeah. No, they're not going to fraud you. But that doesn't mean that is the best way for your money. And if you're kind of like a little bit more careful with the people that you work and you listen to them and, and especially I think that, I mean, this is a bit of luck here, but they need, really need to be uh, managing risk. I think that's, that's the name of the game. Not everybody is able to do that. Yeah. But I think there are better choices than, than the big houses. Yeah. There's also a little bit more risk. Like, and that, that also something that annoys me that there's so many cowboys in this industry, but not everybody is. And there's a lot of good people too. And if you find one of those good people that are independent. Chances are that you, you'll do better for yourself. Yeah. Um, okay. So move it. Sorry. I was getting distracted. I just saw the Bitcoin was up 6% today. Um, I mean, that's the trade, right? It's Tesla and Bitcoin. That'll get you done. Uh, okay. So moving on a little bit, let's, I think we got a good, just had to, had to do that entrance and, and do a little examination of last year, even though it was horrific and brutal and not fun. Um, but when we're looking out at the world today and I know where, I know where you're going to start this and I want to get back to where we're at. Um, one of the things that I'm thinking about is thinking about because it's been a while, right? It's been a while since we've had really a risk-free rate above zero, right? It's been a while since the Fed funds rate. I mean, I, yeah. w when was the last time the Fed funds rate was at this level? Was it at this level in early 20s, I, probably 2007, I want to say? Is that right? That kind of area, yeah, like yeah, like 15 years. Yeah, so I mean, it's it's been a run, right? Um, it's been a while. And I'm looking at this, and what it appears to me is, you know, and I was saying this to listeners on the regular show today, saying that, look, here's the way I look at things. Here's the fundamental backdrop, but markets are bumping up against very key levels. And even that breakout or not breakout yet, but even the surge in Bitcoin, it's all coming along together. But what it looks to me, Mark Marcos, and the reason I'm not buying this breakout yet. Now, if, if all these indexes get above the 200 day moving average, in my opinion, you, you're hard pressed to be bearish there, right? I, I, I don't know how bullish I'll be if that occurs, because I think the NASDAQ is still about 4.5% away from that level. But I'm probably not going to be short. Right? <laughs> like if break out above the 200-day yeah. moving average, not going to fight the tape. That being said, the reason that I'm not buying this rally is because it looks so much like the last 15 years. Right. Meaning in my opinion, now there's other parts of the market that are rallying that are making new highs, 52-week highs that, you know, but – in my opinion, you know, the, a lot of those are parts of the market that didn't participate this last run. But you look at a day like today, the Dow's up 1%, NASDAQ's up 26 
right? Uh, companies like Netflix, um, you know, I think Netflix is a good company and this gets into where we kind of left off before in the last time where I forgot to hit the record button. Um, but I think Netflix is a really good company. I have it. I like using it. But I was it was really interesting to me to read through their recent queue because the headline number, of course, was the way the headline number always is net NAS or at Netflix blows away subscribers. And they did, right? The street expectations were around four and a half million. I think they had like 7.2 million new subscribers. Pretty impressive. Then you read through the queue and they still posted negative earnings on the quarter. And then more importantly, to me anyway, they were guiding for 4% revenue growth next year. Now I look at this stock, right? It added seven, over 7 million new subs, still posted negative earnings and guiding for 4% revenue and people are paying up 34 times earnings for this thing. I look at that and I'm like, guys, that makes sense when rates are a zero. Uh, I, I, we also brought up McDonald's. I look at McDonald's. McDonald's essentially has flat or very slow revenue growth, extraordinarily mature company, very exposed to inflationary pressures, very exposed to a pullback in consumer spending, which I see is somewhat inevitable. It could be wrong. Um, you know, and people are like, oh, it's paying a 2.7% dividend. And I'm like, okay, but with a two-year treasury paying you 4.3, you're going to pay up for a company at 33 times earnings or 32 times earnings for a 2.7% dividend when you can make 4.3 in a treasury? That math just doesn't work to me. And I'm not asking you to do a deep dive on Netflix and McDonald's. I didn't either. So they're I again, and I, I read through the cues, so I've got a better than, you know, rudimentary understanding of what the business looks like and things like that. But I haven't deep dived into it, so I'm not trying to say it's a buy or a sell. If you own Netflix or McDonald's, please do not buy or sell it based on what I'm saying. I have not deep dove on those things, but I'm just seeing this. What it looks to me is like investor expectations are what we just went through as a blip. Now this we're back to business as usual. The companies that aren't growing top line are growing at low single digits because they're a quote unquote tech company, despite the fact that they show no earnings power, um, that they should be valued at 30 and 40 times earnings and possibly even 50. And a company like McDonald's should be sporting a 30. I mean, it's just it seems ridiculous to me. If I'm looking at these kinds of valuations, I don't like them, but they make sense to me when the risk free rate is at zero. Well, now we are here at 4.75 heading to five, according to what the Fed's saying. And I'm looking at McDonald's and, and I'm sitting there going, okay, if we're looking at these businesses fundamentally, I don't understand why anybody would take equity risk when they can basically get the same return ROI off of a treasury over the next two years. Um, I know that you have a different take than I do, but can you help me make sense of that? And, and do you think I'm looking... I have a slightly different take. I know you do. Massively different. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't know much about the particulars on Netflix or McDonald's, so I'm not going to comment on that. But what I see is a very typical behavior from investors is that in the same way that they worry about the last crisis... Right. When it goes to the downside, they're always sort of like trying to head, not, not to get caught in the same way and they miss the new way. I think at the end of like the big bull markets for a while, investors tend to go back to the same names that made them the money and then they lost it and they sort of try to make it the same way. 
Um, if it was, let's say, Netflix, they will still try to buy Netflix. If it was McDonald's, they will try to buy McDonald's again. And and typically, the leaders of the previous bull market are rarely the leaders of the new bull market. Right. But people, it has to be a new generation of people coming in to do that. And the old people that made money one way, they will try to keep doing it the same way. Only very few are able to adapt. And I think that's what's happening these days. And that these days, I mean, this, this past few weeks, uh, people are still saying, oh, when the market rebounds, it's going to be the high beta names of the previous bull market. But the high beta names of the of the new bull market will be other ones. But this will take time to sort of like percolate. And uh, so people are still playing the old game. So uh, it, it is my belief, actually, the people that are doing that are not going to be happy in the near to medium future. Uh, term but uh, who knows I, I, that's my feeling uh, so in that sense i agree with you that being said i am seeing a dynamic in the market that makes me slightly positive of the market overall like i wouldn't be buying the old leaders but i'm seeing a bunch of new leaders uh i'm also seeing that the market is fairly relatively resilient i think the inflation nominal gdp Stocks are in nominal dollars. Those are still being pumped. Uh, I, I think that velocity of money is growing. The interest rates are going to be still negative or very low in real time. So even though now we have moved from zero to four, inflation has moved from two to seven. So we're still in negative real rates. What happens? The people that were very levered and had to pay, especially that had negative cash flow, the debt was almost free. Now it's four. They still don't have the money to pay it, even if it's negative real rates, because the cash flow is negative. But there are many other companies that are actually thriving in this environment because they have strong balance sheets, so they have world position, they have pricing power, and they're doing well. And I think that's supporting the market overall. But it's not going to be the people that were leading the market in 19, 2021 20, that are going to be leading the market in 23, 24. I don't believe that. Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a tough, at least for me, that's a tough one to get my head around. Um, yeah. I mean, I mean, I can get it wrong. We can always get it wrong, but I don't think it's going to happen. It, it, I mean, not that I'm not wrong, but I don't think the, the old leaders will be the new leaders again. I guess, let me, let me, let me, let me try to refine what I was going to say. I wasn't looking for a deep, and I know you know this, but I wasn't looking for a, a deep dive analysis of Netflix. What I was looking at was the focus on the subscriber number, completely looking past earnings and the fact that they're guiding for 4%. And remember, when somebody's buying a stock at a certain price, they're not buying it because they hope it stays there, right? They're buying it because they think it's got upside. Yeah. So I'm sitting there looking at that going, this looks to me like the same type of thinking that has dominated the last cycle and just going. But it's exactly that, yes. Well, and, 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 but, and that's what I'm saying is traditionally, and again, there's no perfect way to look at this. I know that. But, but you, you, usually at market bottoms, you see a shift of, of investor thinking back to sobriety and focusing on balance sheets and fundamentals. And I, I don't think you'd argue this. We're clearly not there yet, right? It's arguable. 
Really? Because if I if if we look like say just just at the things that the algo has, it's very strong companies. Yeah, that's true. Um, I, I see that. I see a lot of people, a lot of a lot of, I mean, a bunch of companies making all time highs. We have a bunch of those, but but, I also but, but, but we're also not of, but we're also not talking about the algo doesn't own a bunch of retail favorites and market leaders either. No, actually, the algo knows owns things that uh, mo- most people have never heard about. Right, right, and and so, uh, which is good. Yes, yes. Especially if, if especially um, if the environment has shifted, like we both believe it has. Yeah. So, so but those those things are like happening under the surface, but people are not focused on those names. People are focused on the names that are bumped out, and they think that they're going to go back to the all time highs or like the peaks. They're not. They may have these twenty, thirty, forty percent rallies out of their low levels, but uh, chances are they may fall another twenty percent quickly as well, and then the people will get chop chop done. In and out, in and out, losing money, not not buying buying on the way up, selling on the on the way down uh, until they get sort of like demoralized. And by the time they're like realize the market has moved on from them, uh, some other stocks have have been trending up for a long time, but they don't see those because they focus on the past. Well, yeah, they want to they want to catch the they, they want to catch the. Uh... You know, nobody wants to miss out on the Tesla ten trillion dollar run, right? That's no. and I mean, and there is another behavioral bias people have. I mean, I, I feel it sometimes. I'm not immune to it. I just try to to be aware of it and then do my process in a way that doesn't get a, doesn't affect me. But uh, uh, the natural tendency of all of us is to try to make the money that we lost it. Like if you if you lost money in Tesla, you want to trade Tesla to make the money that Tesla took away from. Yeah, I've no- very few people that are able to say I I lost money on Tesla, but now I'm gonna make it on on I don't know. I'll give you one of our names. It's like uh, Lamb Weston that make French fries, frozen French fries, right? It's very hard to do that shift. Yeah, yeah. It it it. It always amazes me, though, because I know what dynamic you're talking about. And, and maybe it would be helped to go back and look at some of the stuff that I was doing when I first started. But I'm to a point where I've actually gone on the other end of it, where if I've taken a whooping in something, I'm probably too incalcitrant at times for going back and revisiting it and giving it another shot. Right. Like the I best way I, in the long run, the best way is to take it off your screens. Yes. Forget about it. Yes. Get it out of there. Quit looking at it. Quit watching it. I have learned that. And uh, it's just odd to me how people go back. It's almost like it's almost like they forget the point of what we're doing. Right. Like it's to make money. It's not to be right. Which which kind of gets yes, us. But we are not wired that way. We're not wired that way. Yeah, you're right. You're right. No. And I just and I and, you know, sometimes I think it, it I, in a lot of ways, investing reminds me of parenthood. You know what I mean? And, and, and bear with me while I draw this out a little bit. There's so many things through having kids that I have revisited with them, meaning things that I had forgotten, thoughts that I had forgotten, perspectives that I had forgotten, but that once I saw my kids doing it or expressing it, it reminded me, oh yeah, I remember that. I remember thinking like that. And I think investing can be the same because it's a constant learning process. At least it should be. 
And so sometimes I realize, you know, one way or the other, I'll run into something that, you know, I look at, I I look at things today in a certain way and I, I'm not going to depart from it. And then I'll run into something or somebody or whatever that reminds me, oh yeah, I didn't always think this way. Do you know what I mean? Like it reminds me of, yes, I know exactly what you mean. The mistakes that I've made earlier. I have seen a lot of new traders. I mean, thanks to Twitter, you get a, you get an instant insight into people's minds, right? Yeah, that before was very hard to get. So I I see people that are starting or where they are in the, in their careers, and and sometimes I see behaviors and I say, oh, I used to do that, right? I don't do it anymore, uh, right. but it's sort of kind of the natural exploration. I mean, it's kind of uh, you step on all the traps and then you kind of like start to recognize them yes a small example of this is that i used to think that fighting the tape was discipline right it's 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 yeah it's the way that i looked at it um i learned <laughs> i learned through managing money actually and facing real bullets and and quite frankly you've helped me a lot with that too which is hey it, it, it's it, good to hear. It makes me happy to hear that. Well, I yeah, you've taught me a lot. And and one of the things is, hey, the, you don't have to be right to make money, right? Just, <laughs> when you Like, for instance, you know, the old adage it used to tick me off when I started, but the trend is your friend. Very true statement, right? Very, like, it reminds me of that scene. You, you, you remember the movie Full Metal Jacket? Did you ever see it? I, I saw it many years ago. I don't remember the details. Okay, so you, you, I mean, you should see it again. In my opinion, everybody should see Full Metal Jacket enough times to where they can quote multiple lines. But but there's a scene in there, I believe it was, no, it wasn't, it wasn't Robert Duvall, he played, but there's a scene where they come in contact with a, a senior officer and uh, he, he goes in, he goes, you, you got a peace sign on your helmet or you got a peace sign on your helmet and born to kill, uh, uh, born to kill written on your, written on your shirt. And he's like, uh, you know, what is this conflict? And the guy responds, it's about the duality of man, sir, or whatever. And the guy goes into this lecture and he finishes up or he, and he says something, to the, the, well, he says several racist things, but then he says something to the tune of, you know, you got to just get on the home team. You got to get on the, get in with the home team and come in for the big win. And it kind of reminds me of like, quit bucking it, right? If you see, if you see the ship taken off, and you don't buck the trend, right? Hop on the boat and have a good time. Yeah. yeah right? I mean, that's not yeah. kind of what you're saying? Yeah. And 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 and, and you think, and then getting back to exactly the, where the we... The trend is your friend. The, the trend is your friend, and don't fight the tape. It's kind of the same, right? Yeah. Yeah, totally. Totally. And these are, these are sort of like market advisors that are there for a reason, because they're like generations of traders that have lived through that. Right. They've made all and the mistakes. books from... You read the book from 1970s, 1950s, 1920s, 1910s, even like 1860s. It's all the same behaviors. And they all reach kind of the same conclusions with experience. And one of them is just the trend is your friend. So getting back to what and we've gone past it in certain ways. We're getting back to where we were when we realized that this wasn't coming. Now I know you talked about different stocks popping up, but one of the things we were getting into was I look at the market and well, first let me ask you this question before we go there. 
when if we look at a scenario, like I said, the, the S&P is bumping right up against its 200-day. Uh, it was right at it a few days ago. It's pulled back a little bit. But for all intents and purposes, it's right there. NASDAQ is still about 4.5% away from its 200-day. Um, if both of those break through their 200 days and all three indexes are above their 200 days, how bullish is that? How, how, how many times? Because I'm sure it's happened in the past. I think it happened in 1929, which the market, comp, you know, I hate to compare it to back then because it was such, such a different market, such a different scenario. But um, how many times do we see breakouts with all three indexes after we've had a year like, I guess my point is, how bullish would you feel about going higher if all three indexes close solidly for a couple of days above their 200-day moving average? How how bullish is that? In this particular year, not that bullish. Really? Okay. Uh, and the reason being, and this is maybe my bias speaking, I think 2023 is going to be the year of healing. And that to me calls for so like a flattish, volatile year, not really down, potentially a little bit down, but not really up, potentially a little bit up, with a lot of like start and stops. Do, do you think until so like people people give up on the old bull market and start to embrace the new bull market that may start after that? So 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 do you think maybe let's see if I'm getting the context right? Could it maybe be like? Uh, a rotational year where the the you have a lot of yes, false, a good way to put it yeah yeah where, where where money is actually going back into more fundamentally sound things that have been so ignored for so long and you're going to see a lot of fake breakouts on all the high flying tech stuff only to see them bleed back down and maybe a lot of that high flyer stuff makes new lows maybe even substantially new lows but the overall index doesn't move a lot because capital's flowing back into places where it probably should have been to begin with. Is that that's kind yeah. of a description? Yeah, exactly. It's a, sort of like a pull, on, like a tug of war, right? Between sort of like money coming in or like stabilizing, but initially starting to go into sort of like these these high flyers of the past, but they give up and they come down. That turns the indices down, but it's sort of like the underlying trend is not too bad, and you have this sort of like this rotation. But it's kind of like noisy. Yeah, yeah. You know what? That actually makes perfect. Um, that, that that actually makes perfect sense to me, and it's been one of the reasons why I've said that. I don't really, you know, I hear all the bears out there, and I know there's a lot of bad macro data and a lot of bad stuff in the background that we talk about all the time. But it's one of the reasons why I said I don't think we're on the edge of some big market blowout because, you know, all of those things said, there's just too many parts of this market that are still ridiculously undervalued it's not the average stock on the market but i mean wouldn't you agree with me but there's some things where you're like yes there's, i mean there's there's thousands of stocks right yeah uh the indices are basically dominated by the top 20 which are mostly tech and they sort of like the technology monopolies and a couple other big companies those are going to determine what happens to the market overall but there are many many other ones that are small now and maybe they will be very big in 10 years, but today they're small, they're starting to do well. But because they, the weight in the indices is so small, they will, don't really affect it. But if you find those names, I think that you can have a good year. Yeah, yeah. What do you see? Uh, I... no, that... Go ahead. Say again, sorry. 
Oh, no, no. I, you, you can go ahead and finish your thought. I was just going to ask you to put on. Yeah, so I, and I don't know. I thought like this is just, I mean, there is the element of understanding investor psychology and how do people behave and how long it takes them to digest or like the new regime. But it's also founded on sort of like real life observations. Like this, this week I've been meeting with a ton of investors in particular in Europe. But I think the sentiment is similar. Um, I actually had a chance to talk to a lot of people that are doing private credit and extending credit to private equity and LBOs and those kind of things. And the market is totally dead. Really? They don't have any business. Yeah. Why? Because the rates are higher. Uh, private equities are like a, a little stuck. They don't cross the bid offers. They want to buy stuff low, but the sellers are still living in the prices of the past. So, so that needs to adjust. So that's one thing. The other thing is that their and their lending standards are higher, right? Yeah. Because now the companies that they used to be viable at one or two percent loans, they're not longer viable at six to eight percent loans. So they just don't have a lot to do. Um, what does this mean? That the that the people that have weak balance sheets are going to suffer. Even though, as we were saying before, maybe the real rate is negative, the people that have weak balance sheets and they don't have cash flows, they're going to suffer. And on the other hand, the people that do not need any debt um, that can benefit from pricing power and real, like, basically easy, easy financial conditions, as long as you don't really have a lot of debt, I think they're going to benefit. Man, they should. They should. It makes yeah. all the sense. So, so that that is going to be a mix that's going to make the indices sort of like a third water for the whole year, but maybe in a wide range because that like we're seeing like up 10%, down 12%, up 15%, down 15%, which is, is not an easy market to, to navigate, but I think that what can happen, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, it's, that makes, that outlook makes a lot of sense to me. Um, the other, the other one, and I want to get to a different little game I want to play with here. Uh, but the other one that, is odd to me is that there is so much, uh, you know, there's so much bullishness or so much energy put up around a fed pivot. And one of the tough things I've got with that is I feel like, well, and, and now the narrative is China reopening and I sit there and I'm like, guys, if your thesis plays out, the fed doesn't need to pivot, right? If, if the market is bottom, we're just going to go in stopping, stopping, uh, rate rises. Yeah, well, well, and here's what I'm saying is if, 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 quote unquote, the economy is about to heat up and we're through the worst part of this and China's coming back online, commodities are going higher. Those inflationary pressures come right back to the fore, don't they? Yes, we've seen some of that, especially yeah. copper. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, copper's taken off like a bat out of hell. Um, so anyway, this leads me to my next thing. I, a little game I want to play with you. What What are... What is a current market narrative that you're hearing out there, bullish or bearish, that you're not buying? And, and, and I'll start it off to get, kind of give you kind of an idea. And this, this, I was just alluding to it. That mine is, on the bullish side, a Fed pivot. 
and and I and I talked about this on the regular show today, and it's just something that I can't wrap my head around. Meaning, because what it looks to me like is investor sentiment, right? Everybody's going back to the stuff that worked, like you talked about, and. It, it's the Fed pivot. The economy's reaccelerating. It's a great time to buy stocks, blah, 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 blah. You know, the, you know the narrative. And the issue I have with that is that they point to China reopening, Fed pivot, and, and those to me seem like completely juxtaposed points of view. They, they seem like they're completely at odds with each other in the sense that if these bullish narratives take form, I see commodity prices, if the economy starts to quote unquote heat up, you haven't fixed any of the supply side problems on any of the, uh, on any of the commodities, really. Uh, it hasn't even started to be addressed. It seems to me like commodities go right back up. Inflation heats up again. And if anything, I would think that the Fed, that may trigger more rate hikes. Um, and so that's, that's a narrative that I just cannot wrap my head around that makes absolutely no sense to me. It's sort of like, in my opinion, it's kind of like a child saying, what if this happens? You're like, well, but yeah, but if that happens, this happens, which kind of negates it, right? It, it looks like they're just looking at things from the, from the, so you can feel free to comment on that. But I'd also like you to think about and tell us if, is there a narrative out there that you see a, a, an issue with right now? Right now, I don't really have strong opinions like that. You asked me three months ago, I think that the dollar people were were sort of pulled up on the dollar. And I was like dubious about that. Um, I made some comments about in the past about not sure about the recession. I'm not seeing the behavior that is linked to recession. But I think that's the weak, the, the mild recession or no recession is no longer. I mean, it, it's starting to be sort of like consensus now. So I don't know what to do with that. Um, I don't have one for you today. I'm sorry. Okay. So, well, let's talk about the recession one. I'm an, now again, I, I want to underline this with strong convictions, loosely held. When I look at the backdrop today and I look at the issues, I am absolutely flummoxed and extraordinarily hard pressed to try to see how there isn't a recession. Okay. Um, and now when I say recession, I, my thing, okay, my I would love to hear it. Let me, let me, let me, let me finish. Laying. When I say recession, I'm not talking 0809. I'm just talking. I think you're going to see unemployment drift higher. I think you're going to see at least two quarters of negative growth. I, you know what? And, and to be fair, I said this earlier, Stan Druckenmiller gave an interview lately, uh, recently, and I literally am in lockstep with the way that he sees it. Um, again, he's really good. And the thing about Stan that makes it tough is that if his thesis doesn't play out, he will admit it the minute it doesn't and pivot right away. So, you know, and he says that over and over just because I see that say that today doesn't mean I'll think that next week. So don't don't act on my my accord. But I just look at the world and I'm going like, for instance, there's a lot of people still guiding for three to five percent earnings growth on the S&P 500 next year, I'll be the first to admit if I'm wrong. I just can't see it. I just don't see it. Walk me through the, the other side of that. Okay. So there are two things. One is something I tweeted a long time ago, maybe June, July, that I could see a scenario in which we see tech layoffs or layoffs in tech. 
uh, we see tech stocks falling and then people thinking it's a recession because that's where it's catching the headlines that's most, most of the market cap in the in, in the indices that's where their portfolios are so their portfolios are suffering and they say okay tech is really doing really bad uh recession but maybe outside of tech there is no recession why because when all these resources that tech absorbed get freed up and there was a lot of companies that were losing money uh mal investment things like that when you stop that those resources can be redirected to other areas of the economy where wealth is being created, not destroyed in terms of people and instead of capital so maybe that's what's happening that the whole headline everything in a tech and all the disaster that tech has been in the last 12 12 18 months but in fact the regular people are doing fine because now they it's easier to find a job and 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 it's easier to find capital for some other places now this is not obvious but maybe that's what's happening now the other thing is obviously housing what's going to happen to housing and and i have this thinking that i haven't talked to many people about this but so let's say that houses went up a lot and are they going down if you own a house your house is worth less but you're fine probably your your mortgage is locked in at a certain interest rate so your your mortgage payment haven't gone up your house value has gone down but but your life is the same and if you got a raise actually you make more money now because of the inflation and what happens if people that do not have a house now houses are cheaper so they don't have to save as much for the down payment yeah granted the interest rate on mortgages is higher for the same million dollar house or whatever your mortgage payments are higher but that million dollar house now is 750 so your mortgage payments are down but the real barrier to entry to housing is actually the the down payment and now those that house that require a 250 million 250k down payment now is only 150 so yeah. now you don't you don't need to save as much well yeah but the, but when you look at and, and, and then you can spend it no and i'm with you on rates but that means mortgage rates have to come down a lot because if you look at mortgage rates here in the u.s and you just do the math okay so whatever amount you finance it's 90 percent absolutely the payment is 90 percent higher than it was 16 months ago absolutely but let's say when people buy houses People think, okay, what is the monthly payment I can afford? Right. It's, let's say, let's let's call it a thousand dollars a month, just to make it simple. What is the amount of money that I need to, I can borrow for a thousand dollars a month? Let's call it two hundred k. So I'm gonna, what is, so with a two hundred, two hundred thousand budget, I can buy a house that is two hundred thousand. I need a 
down payment of 50K. Whereas before, a $1,000 mortgage will buy you a house that not a 200K, but 500K, you need a 150K deposit. So buy it, even though you could afford the mortgage because you didn't have that 150K saved up. Yeah. But yeah. now you only need 50K to buy a house. Uh, buy a house you can afford for the thousand. For the same mortgage payment. Okay, but here's the problem with that. Like I was saying, but that would suggest that housing prices still need to come down. Yeah, they will come down. Okay, so okay, so okay, so. But if you already if you already own a house, it's mark to market on the house. The house changes value, but your life doesn't change. No, I no no I get that I get that. But here's the issue that I've got. Okay, so if we're talking about tech being on ice. And I'm not saying gone, but just, you know, I, I agree with your scenario there. And, and I think that the other thing I think is that if Amazon and Microsoft and Google are announcing substantial layoffs and guiding down, I don't know if there are three companies that have better look through into the U.S. economy and, and, and to that part, the global economy. So yeah. I, I agree with you there. One more thing. OK, and but there's one more thing. But hold on. Before we get to that thing. Yeah. Now we're talking about housing. Housing prices have to go down. I just don't understand how you can have these two, these multiple massive parts of the economy, right, struggling and not see a recession. I just, I, hit, hit your other thing. Let, 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 let's, I, I, I don't know if there is a recession or not, but I think that, I think the narrative is, is very dramatic. When there's other, if, if I look at the whole picture, there are things that are positive actually, because rates went up and because tech tech, tech went down. What is no that positive people. for? Like, what's positive about well, that? People, pe- but one one of the things that happened in tech is that there was a lot of malinvestment, a lot of capital being dedicated to to losing money, money, money losing enterprises, and that was a wealth destroyer. That's not happening anymore. That capital is probably being invested in a in a less flashy way, not, not making headlines, but in just like more profitable, wealth creating businesses. They're not listed on the. No, it's not venture capital that is doing that. Same 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 thing with human capital. A lot of human capital was being attracted to here because there was these. Me- this this fad, um, and those were probably smart people that were dedicated to enterprises that were they were wealth destroying. Now they can they can dedicate their that brain power to things that are more beneficial to the economy as a well. whole. They're probably going to be smaller things, so they don't make the headlines. We don't hear about them. But when you multiply that by a million people or 10 million people or 20 million people, that it will, it will have an impact, even if we don't hear about any of them in particular. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing is that now that rates are 5%, if you own a company that is trading at 100 times PE or even worse, is losing money and stuff, that's bad for you. If you are a 55, 60-year-old person thinking about retirement and now you get 4%, and now 
you are a lot less stressed about your retirement than when the, when rates were zero. You don't need to save as much. You can breathe. Yeah, we're, we're certainly not we're not in a Tina market anymore. There are alternatives, right? right. Yeah, yeah. So, but but again, so that's not those, but that's not that, that, that's not markish bull. That's not market bullish though. It is for some people. Yeah, but they're going to go into safer assets. If you, if if you, it, it, it is bad. If it's bad for you, you own bad companies with bad balance sheet that are losing money, like the Ark names. That's bad for you. Yeah, yeah. If you if you sell frozen French fries, that may be good for you. Well, bring up Ark. It's interesting. Ark is flirting with a trend line too. It looks like it's flirting with breaking out of a downtrend. Yeah, I mean, it will it, it will move around as people just chase old dreams that are broken. But that's all it, do, it will do. Yeah, so you're, you, in th- my opinion. Yeah, so so you're not. Let me put it this way: you're not itching for an opportunity to buy Arc while while it's cheap. <laughs> no, no, I think that many of the things that are in those portfolios would just disappear. I, I I agree with you as well. The other thing I do think is going to happen, regardless of whether recession, regardless of which direction the market ends up going this year, I just think that a lot of really uh, bad, and I don't mean bad personally, but just as in not skilled and not informed, and I'm not talking about retail, I'm talking about professional investors, i.e. Kathy Wood, I think they're going to continue to be uh, exposed. Right, I, I, I think that the Ross Gerbers of the world, and again, I'm not taking personal shots. I just think that I do think that we have turned the page, and that this is going to be a much more difficult environment in terms of buying, you know, somewhat back to normal, if you will. That buying the best, yeah, it's going to be much more discriminating. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, the, I mean, and I, I can see it. I mean, the, the correlation in the market is going down. You have a bunch of things going down, a bunch of things going up. Not everything is the same anymore. Right. Where right. we used to have everything going up or everything going down. Now it's like differentiation. It's like the people that are doing well are doing well and doing and people that are doing badly are doing badly. It, and there was these periods, maybe three, four, five weeks, eight weeks, a quarter, where we it looks like we're going back to what it was before, but that's about it. That's the market being the beast that it is. It will give you hope for and then kill you, and then and give you hope again, and then out. kill you. And then, yeah. <laughs> I, I think that in the valley of the, sort of like the those that we had in the last few weeks, that's what's been happening. Yeah. And yeah. also, people saw it so obviously that these things are going to go down, that a lot of people are short, and the market, again, will lure you in and then backstab you. It's a dream crusher. Yeah. That's what it is. No, and, 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 you know, the other positive thing you can see out of this, and I, I, I know you probably agree. I would assume you probably agree. And if you don't, you can tell me, but I, I do think another bright spot as far as investors go is I think that this is an environment, if it continues to be the way you and I are talking about, and I, I just, I, I highly doubt it will not be. But I also think that it is an environment. And again, you're seeing this in the market action. So it's the action is certainly backing this up. I am very excited 
and very enthused and somewhat relieved at the prospects of getting back to a market that operates on more traditional metrics, right? And a market that operates that gets back to price discovery mode. I'm not sure that that's going to completely happen. Uh, I think that there are reasons to believe it won't. I'm just a, a boy can hope, right? Um, do, do you do you kind of think that's we're seeing some of that? We're yeah. seeing some of that. Yeah, uh, but I think the world has been poisoned already by interventionist central banks and governments. You mean in terms of getting back to more of a traditional price discovery mechanism the way it has been yes. in the past? Yes. Yeah. Maybe though maybe that maybe that chicken has flown the coop. Yeah. And it ain't coming back. Well, and this For gets while, no. this gets back into a conversation that you and I have had before. And it's something I've spent a lot of time thinking. That we may and and I and I say this knowing full well the logical trap that this can be. But if you look at traditional pricing metrics on markets and securities and everything, that those valuations, those, those averages incorporated all information, right? Including risk of default, including risk of recession. And when you look at the role that central bankers play in economies today, I don't think it's crazy to argue that long-term valuations should probably be higher. I'm not going to invest that way and, and blindly follow it. I'm just saying like your risk of quote unquote bad economic outcomes, i.e. asset prices falling and falling, you know, to a level like a 1929 or a 1980s. Well, I mean, you take a look at 1987. This is a perfect example. Right. There is no. I mean, I guess there is if you ignore. No, there isn't because of the because of the circuit breakers. But when you look at the circuit breakers that have been put in, I can confidently tell you we will never see a 1987 again. Why? Because the market shuts off when it's down 13 percent. Right. So they're not going to allow it. Right. They're not. Yeah, they're not going to allow it. So in that backdrop, it sort of makes sense to me. At least it's something I'm willing to entertain that maybe the long-term averages in terms of multiples we're willing to pay on stocks, maybe it should be higher now because those stocks in general do not carry with them the same economic risk they have in the past. Do you think that's a crazy assertion? No, I think that the, the risk of a 1929 depression where stocks go down 90% is very difficult to see. So that scenario gets priced out. So it doesn't, it doesn't go into your model. So when you remove sort of like this very bad scenario, the average of what remains is higher. Yeah. Which is kind of what you're saying, right? Yeah. Um, now, can it happen one day? It can. Well, it probably will, but, but, think, but one day could be 150 yeah. years from now. Exactly. So by then, we're not here. <laughs> well, yeah, you never – hey, hold I mean, on. You never know. I mean, rumor on the street yeah, is yeah, – <laughs> rumor on the street is is that Musk is working on cryogenic freezing and also uh, – uh, 
you know, living life forever, right? Uh, being immortal. Okay, but then based on his track record, we should have that next year. Yeah, I mean, it should be here next. Well, I mean, then that's what justifies the multiple on Tesla stock. It's not just a tech company. Yeah. I, I got to tell you, I, I I know you don't like talk about Tesla much, but I, I listened to a really funny interview the other day where it was Ross Gerber <laughs> debating another analyst about Tesla. And the guy was saying over and over, this is a car company, plain and simple. This isn't a tech company. And he goes, that just shows Ross Gerber's retort is that just goes to show you how uneducated you are on Tesla. He goes, when you walk into Tesla, he goes, everybody's working on computers. <laughs> he, he, that was his, that was the statement about them not being yeah, a no, tech I, company. I mean, in Tesla in particular, I think that what's, was keeping the value up is that uh, people believe in the self-driving software. The vaporware? Yes. Um, when I look at it, to me, it's worth zero. I agree. Yeah. No, I just... Well, the other thing, too, is I just... The accounting still doesn't make any sense on it. I, I just can't remember. Yeah, in addition, I mean, there's, like many, there's many other things. So many yeah. Other things, just, uh, when people look at Tesla, I say, okay, it's a car company or is it like a... Is it going to be the self-driving software for the future? And it was almost like that stock was engineered, it, it, and it probably was. And I don't put this past Musk because I do he think was. he's a very smart guy. He was. It, every like, like for instance, if you listen to all the Tesla bulls talk, they'll talk about their gross margins. Do you know that they're the only automobile manufacturer that does not include their cost of goods sold into their gross margins? So uh, I think they do. No, they don't. They don't. Not I mean, in their... there are many of them, but, uh, Okay, they have a line that says cost of goods sold, but they don't put everything that goes. They don't put all the cost of their goods in that line. Right. Right. And so when when and and Bloomberg, I believe, did a did a did a breakdown on this and said that when you actually normalize the way they do their accounting to to make it uniform with the way other auto dealers do, they're actually middle of the pack in terms of margins. They're not at the top. Yeah, I can believe that. I haven't. Seen it. Uh, but what I do think, though, is that even I've been I've been in a few Teslas, and, and the materials and the finish and the fit is just cheap. Yeah, yeah. It, and, it, and so far, the cars are selling being sold for expensive. So I I I can I can take a higher margin than average. I don't think it's sustainable because people will not pay for that crap any much more. Well, they're already not. But, I mean, you're seeing their backlog disappear. Yeah, the, but the quality is terrible. The cost is obviously low. And the prices are like high-ish, so that would support a higher margin. But I don't think that's sustainable because people don't accept that for very long. Yeah. What about on the earnings side? Do you what do you think about these four to five percent earnings increases next year? Do you think that's possible? I mean, well, of course it's possible. But um, so from what so from what S and P five hundred. So like, you'll go out of the street estimates. The kind of consensus view is four to five percent earnings growth next year on the S and P five hundred. Again, yeah, I don't know. I don't pay a lot of attention to that, so I, I don't. I don't have very deep thoughts. Uh, but if inflation is six to ten percent, I would expect revenues to go six to seven percent. Yeah, but not earnings on the aggregate. Aggregate, and then earnings is a question of how much of that gets eaten by cost, labor and stuff. Uh, to the extent that dollar is strong, actually 
maybe the margins can be maintained because anything you import in dollar terms is cheaper. And if it's not imported, whatever you pay is somebody else's revenue. Um, so let's say that your cost, your revenues went up 5%, but your cost went up 10%. If everything is US, let's say somebody else's revenues went up 10%, right? Uh, so when you look at the aggregate dollar matters, and then the question is labor. So doesn't sound crazy to me that in nominal terms, not real terms, earnings can go up 5%. In nominal terms. Like, yeah. I just don't understand how but, you can have what's going on in real estate going on and have, and you look at how much of earnings growth tech has made up. And if we think tech is going to be under pressure next year, you look at real estate, you look at rates. I just, I, again, you could be right. And I've been saying, look, I could be wrong. I just, the thing is that the rates, the rates are cost for some people. But a revenue for other people. I know, but the problem, like, I, here's where I go, though. Look at real estate, right? You know, higher rates equal better margins for banks. Look at the quarter that Goldman just announced, right? Meaning, yes, you're going to make more on the loans, but if loan demand is down 50%, which, we, and yeah, look, but, that, that but, sounds but, crazy but, to but, say but, that, but I think, I, I think home mortgage. old couple that had a million save up for retirement, they were getting 10 grand a year. Before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or like, now they're getting 50 grand a year. That's true. Yeah. They're probably spending a bit more. Yeah, that's that's fair. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, it, it, it is a very, it, it is, it is. I mean, one of the things that, I mean, let's, 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 let's revisit the zero interest rate policy has been a massive creator of inequality, right? I think it's been a drag on growth because inequality is not good for growth. It has made the rich people richer and the poorer poorer. If we reverse that, I think we get the opposite. I mean, the rate higher is better for equality but margins go down. And the rich people that own the assets are poorer, but the people that are savers are richer. But, so but we may actually get a better once we get it through this adjustment, we can actually better better economic growth with a healthier interest rate environment. I agree with all of that. Okay. And I'm and I'm in full agreement and this is why I don't think like I don't think we're on the precipice of some big plunge. But in order for the is isn't another way i feel like another and you can correct me if i'm wrong but i feel like another way of saying exactly what you're saying is you know what what is the long term average on the s&p i want to say it's about 16% margins you know wasn't it jeremy grantham that said mar, margins uh, are the most mean reverting set of data in history yeah they but they are mean reverting yes yeah okay so now you're up at around 26 i want to say well, um i agree with everything you're saying I just don't I, – I also look at what, you, what everything you just said, and it equates to me as margins going back down to a more historically normal level, wouldn't they? Yeah. I mean, that's what – I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying that we're going to look – we're going to get into a massive bull run here. Uh, just not very negative. Got it. Yeah. And the conclusion of these, like, 
opposing forces is that what we said is like maybe probably it's a it's a year of healing in which the attempt goes nowhere or has this like horizontal range uh, if, you, if you make me choose i would say i think it's gonna be more up than down hmm. but i think it's flat i mean and it's very dominated by the by the tech names right because they're still i mean the top 20 names something that we're happening these days that they are starting to cut cost they have a lot of fat to trim that's true yeah uh, so obviously it's not good if you work for them. If you for Amazon, Microsoft, Google, Apple, time, and you you may have a hard time, but shareholders may have a better time. Yeah, yeah, it's it'll be interesting to. They they I I do think it's. Yeah, I just, I guess I should say yeah. I don't see that. Like I said, I don't think it's. I see us on the precipice of some big plunge. Um, but what is clear is nothing is very clear. Yeah, boy, it's, it's opaque, but at the same time, um, I do think, and, and you want to be careful with sentiment indicators, but I just think, you know, and, and this isn't conflicting anything you said, it's in full agreement, but I, I would, there, there, you know, there are signs that I'm looking for to get back involved or to own more of those types of companies them rallying four and 5% on announcements that they're laying off 12,000 people. And I get it, right? That takes their cost structure down. But I'm also sitting there going, hey, guys, companies like that, you know, like a Google, like an Amazon, like a Microsoft, their look through to the underlying economy is so great. They're not laying off 12,000 people because they see clear skies ahead. I mean, wouldn't you agree with that? Um, no, but um, I mean, they're obviously they're not very optimistic about the future. But they're also realizing that maybe they have too many people, right? And, and the shareholders are demanding better margins, and they can actually. Yeah, no, like you said, I they, mean, when you look at, they've know. gone fifteen years without a recession, right? It's impossible not to get yeah, bloated so, and fat. So you could probably trim. Exactly. To be fair, you could probably trim fifteen to twenty percent of their workforce and not see any negative impacts. Would be my guess, and that maybe those numbers aren't right. Yeah, easily. But, yeah, I think so. I yeah. Think so. Yeah, which is, I mean, especially for, yeah, you're right. So I I guess. I mean, don't forget, I mean, Amazon is down 50%, right? Yeah, yeah. It's like half what it, what it was. So now they're starting to, to to cut cost. And I think that's welcome by the market. Yeah, yeah. I think, okay, guys, you're on it now. Yeah, well, hey, it, it is, I, I have kept you way too long. And part of it was because I forgot to hit record. Um, but I realized. Don't worry about it. You, you, because you're talking to us like in London. You. Well, you're, you're, you're too kind, but you're talking to us from London, right? Yeah, it's ten p.m. on a Friday. Yeah, yeah. This is fun to do for me. <laughs> yeah, your, your wife is probably going to want to shoot me. Anyway, in closing, is there anything that we didn't cover that we should be looking out for this next year? Is there anything that you're keeping your eye on that we haven't, we haven't covered, and 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 that you find really interesting or attractive, or that you're looking for? I think what is really interesting is that after many, many years of pulling hairs, I mean, I'm pulling their own hair. I think this is really the time for stock pickers. Agreed. I see all these opposing forces actually create winners and losers. And if you are good at picking them, you can really do well. 
Well, I'm just hoping that we're as good at picking them as we think. We all do hope that. (laughs) It's a little something we call execution risk, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, No, another thing that is interesting, I was thinking, I I mean, uh, is that there is differentiation not just in stocks, but in countries as well. I mean, the U.S. is doing fine compared to the rest of the world. There are some countries that are doing not so well, like the U.K., and there are some other countries that are doing better. I mean, I, I was in Spain. Things are not great, but they're benefiting from some other macro areas. Like, for example, I was thinking, like, the U.S. has made illegal immigration so bad, so difficult, that the people that don't want to do illegal immigration because they are already educated and or whatever, uh, particularly from Latin America, they're going to Spain because they, they will be in Texas, Miami, California, New York, but they cannot come to the States. Now they're taking the money to Spain. So Spain, Spain is doing relatively well because of things that the U.S. made. So there's like all these differentiation between different countries. So that could be interesting for macro people. It, 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 I will, I will say this. I don't, I cannot recall in my career a more opaque backdrop, meaning I just, there are so many moving parts and there's so much. I the other thing that has me a little concerned in closing here is just, and, and this isn't news to you, but listen, some of the greats, you know, Tudor Jones and Druckenmiller and all those guys, you know, talking about how important liquidity is. It, 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 it's so, that's another thing I struggle with when you think about quantitative tightening. Now, I think that that's getting a little overdone because if you look at the chart of how much quantitative tight, I, I, I don't think you can call it tightening right now. I think you could call it more less loose, right? Just because it, less loose, yeah. it, less loose. Um, but when you look at rates and you look at any pullback on the liquidity, he, historically with valuations where they're at historically, this would not be an attractive place to buy. Correct. Considering what's going on on the rates and tightening and all that kind of stuff. The thing is that the liquidity one part of it comes from central banks and part of it comes with what people do with the money. Right. And that part of the central bank don't control. Right. And in fact, it's sort of like linked to inflation. If people think that inflation is going to be sticky, they will spend their money now. They, do, they will not wait to buy the same things more expensive a year from now. Well, and, and this goes to your more bullish positioning because I have noticed that, which is inflation, and I don't think it gets paid enough attention to, it has a big behavioral component to it, right? Huge, huge. And, and, and it's s- kind of like hard to predict. Yeah, and you said something offline when we were chatting today that you think the cat is out of the bag. That resonated with me because it seems to me like there has been a complete attitude shift on not just investors point of view, but also consumers to where they are not in the same mindset that they have been in since 09. 
it has flipped. It, it, the, 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 it seems to me that there is very much a behavioral shift to more of an, infl- you know what I mean? It's not just the fed talking about inflation. When I look at consumers and I listen to them talk and I get to talk to a lot of them doing what I do. Um, it does seem like that mindset flip has occurred. Yes. And I think that we can talk about what is cause and effect, but I think the COVID changed people's mentality as well. I think people saw that what we take for granted instead of longevity and things are fine and we can save and plan for the future and we can make 10-year plans, we can't. So people are a lot more like you only live once, so they're spending more money. It's like, who knows if I'm going to be here next year? YOLO. Yeah, but I think, I mean, I, I can feel it myself. What do you mean? It's like, okay, I've been, I, like I've been lucky. I have, I know other people that haven't been lucky and say, I could, I, that could have been me. Oh, yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to live a little kind of thing. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And, and, you know, just like, you know, people talk about animal spirits, I think a similar dynamic happens with inflation. It's that behavioral shift. Yeah. Yeah. That's what, so that maybe that inflation is the result of that. And then maybe inflation is, feeding that that sentiment of like you better spend the money now because tomorrow is going to worth this yeah i'm just wondering how high high the fed's going to take them because i think another misnomer if i listen to so many of these bulls talk to me it seems like a misnomer the way they talk they act as if the fed wants to get back to zero and i'm looking at it and going they don't if if they can keep the rates between let's call it four and a half to five and a half on the fed funds rate and nothing horrible happens in the economy they'd prefer to have rates there wouldn't they yes i think so yeah i mean it, it gives them room to operate it gives them flexibility yeah. and i i think that is another interesting part of it anyway i could sit here and keep going all night long and your wife's going to hate me anymore uh, as always, pal, I appreciate you so much for joining us and all the great work you've done and how much that momentum algorithm has helped us out. Um, it's been a pretty impressive it's me run. who thanks you, Frank. Yeah, what's that? It is me who thanks you. Oh, well, it works both ways, my friend. Anyway, have a wonderful weekend with your family. Give your best to give my best to the kids and the, and, and the wife. Tell them I am sorry for keeping you so long. But uh, anyway, it's been great to have you, and we'll have to get you back soon, probably multiple times this year, to get some updates from your side of the your side of things. Anytime, Zach. It's a pleasure. All right, you guys, we got to cut it off there. Thank you so much for joining us. I hope you enjoyed this as much as I enjoy talking to Marcos. It's both informative, and he's like, if you can't tell, he's somewhat of a market therapist for me. So anyway, uh, as always, we'll be back next week. We got more interviews lined up. You're not going to want to miss it. Have a great weekend. We'll see you next week. You're listening to the Know Your Risk Radio podcast. Download and subscribe at knowyourriskradio.com. The opinions expressed in this program are for general informational purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual or on any specific security. It is only intended to provide education about the financial industry. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult your financial advisor prior to investing. Any past performance discussed during this program is no guarantee of future results. Any indices referenced for comparison are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. As always, please remember investing involves risk and possible loss of principal capital. Please seek advice from a licensed professional. Investment advice cannot be given without a client service agreement. Bulwark Capital Management is an investment advisor representative of Trek Financial, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor.